Magnus did describe both goals after the game as being honest mistakes that we conceded. So, you know, we're not going to out anyone for any mistakes made there, if it was honest. Sometimes that just happens in football. Big time. Uh, and then, what was it, 10 minutes afterwards? Lads, this is fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> editing on this <laughs> probably cut that bit out <laughs> no that's definitely staying it would be nice if all the teams went out and played like swaggering dandies as the hamlet do an absolute humdinger from about 25 yards get it swaggering dandies an absolute humdinger Hello and welcome to For The Hamlet. My name is Ben Sibley and uh, you join me once again in the Dulwich Hamlet boardroom. So uh, I apologise for yet more loud thumping noises and possible shaking of our recording equipment. Uh, it is something you're going to have to get used to until we find another location. Uh, I am joined this week by Hugo Greenhouse. Hello mate, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And uh, we are joined... For the second time, by Ollie Jarman. Good evening. How are you? Excellent. I've got my pie and my pint. I'm ready, to, ready for the day. Tell us more about that pie. <laughs> God, it's already turned into a plug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a chicken and pie with <laughs> gravy and mashed peas <laughs> from the beautiful clubhouse at Dulwich Hamlet Football Club. How much was it? Uh... £6.50 with my season ticket, £8.50 for those without season tickets. Very nice. So that's an incentive to get one, if anything is. And this particular part was delivered to us by Sexy Dave, the barman. Just before we started recording, unfortunately. Um, so couldn't make it onto this pod. But um, yeah, I had one on Saturday. Fantastic, delicious, recommend. Sizable amount of mushy peas as well. Good portions. And what's the garnish you've got there? Something green. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> What? Oh, it's in his mouth. Now it's back out of his mouth and back on the plate. Oh, with some D- spittle. Delicious. It's delicious. You're lucky you didn't get to see that, listeners. <laughs> so without further ado, should we jump straight into the action from Saturday? Yeah, so uh, we're going to go through Billericay first, because that's the most interesting thing that's happened recently. Uh, and freshest in our memories, because we've probably, probably forgotten everything else. Uh, and then Oxford City away. And then I think we've got some fan contributions for once which we've always meant to do but we've always forgotten to do Um, twitter q a yeah we've had quite a few questions and comments which is interesting uh so we'll do that and then um there's some any other business as always uh the likelihood is that this will probably be another 50 minute maybe a bit longer actually but i'm kind of used to that by now yeah that was a bit of the thumping just there if you could hear it in the background yeah nuisance on it honestly (laughs) Um, so, Billericay, uh, who wants to kick us off? Well, I'll tell you what was nice um, to see. Yeah. Um, how the team came out with the mascot. Every player had a mascot. I thought that was really nice. Have we done that before? 
It happens every game, doesn't it? Well, it's a really nice touch, and I'm sorry I haven't noticed it before, but um, you know, always, always good to be thinking of. Uh, no, and every the, player had a mascot. Every player had a mascot. I'm I sure. I don't think that happens every game. I looked through Duncan Palmer's photos every time he uploads a new set, and I'm pretty sure for the last few months everyone's had a mascot. Hello, listeners. Ben here with a quick message, just to say that while we were getting carried away deciding whether or not Dulwich Hamlet had had mascots uh, for every player throughout the entirety of this season. Uh, I, not we, I totally forgot that I had borrowed Tom Bale and his excellent commentary of the Biriki game uh, to do a quick uh, mashup of the best bits of action. Um, I totally forgot to include this at the time. However, I remembered afterwards so I'm interjecting here with the dulcet tones and excellent knowledge and delivery uh, of Mr. Tom Bale. Uh, so here are the highlights of the Billy Ricky game and we will be back afterwards. The referee having a word with a few players for a bit of pushing and shoving in the six yard box, in the 18 yard box, sorry. Comes the latest one from Paxman. Headed it and goal. Joe Kizzy's got his head on it. He scores against Dulwich again, just as he did last season. Chambers volleying that one towards his area, it's bouncing ball, this is dangerous. Cook's giving that straight to Emmanuel, awful mistake from Anthony Cook. And it's been capitalised on by Moses Emmanuel. Well, when there's a bouncing ball, it's dangerous enough. Cook should have tried to clear, he's nodded it straight to Moses Emmanuel, who volleys home from uh, just about the penalty spot, easily finished by Billericke's top scorer. A Congai. Great ball out of defence, Clunis. First touch was excellent there. Was that a foul? Surely a foul on Clunis. Referee has given a penalty. The assistant didn't flag. Referee has pointed to the spot. Dulwich have a chance here to uh, get back into the game. He's ready. Referee's bonus whistle. Up he steps, Akinyemi. Bit of a stuttering run up. Sends it the wrong way. Goal. Dulwich are back in it. Akinyemi scores for a third successive game. And Dulwich are back in this one. Ten minutes to go. Out to Vose on this left wing. Vose crosses in. Thompson, Thompson. It's an own goal! Dulwich have scored! Oh, would you believe it? It's an own goal! It's off a Billericke head! A Kong lies wheeled away in celebration. Dulwich won't mind! Oh, Vose's cross was flicked into his own net by a Billericke man! And the Hamlet of a goal deep in injury time! It's 2 2! not too long we found ourselves one one goal behind um 17 minutes yeah joe kizzy header from a corner yeah it looked very much like a free unmarked header which went unchallenged but what do you what do you guys think someone didn't track his man i can't remember who it was i don't really want to call them out either but somebody didn't run with their man yeah and it was a pretty easy header uh, and then yeah about uh 10 minutes after that i think a ball came towards Cookie, who'd just come on as a substitute for an injured player. Was it Maskell? Did he come for Maskell? And then someone went left and Cookie went right. Sounds about right, yeah. We we had a few injuries in the first half, I feel. Um, so yeah, Cookie was on at right back. Um, Cross came in and he tried to head it down to Preston, but kind of misjudged it and the striker read it really well and, and finished. It was Moses Emmanuel. I think it was his 20th goal for Billericay this season. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, he, he had his back to goal, so he swivelled and volleyed it into the bottom corner. 
Um, and from the Greendale end, it looks so bad. Yeah. It looked so bad watching it from behind the goal. Yeah. There's a bit more forgiving on the highlights, I thought. Like, I don't want to throw a cookie in it because, you know, like you say, it was a bit of a weird bounce. And he obviously knew what he was me- he meant to do, which is to head it straight back to Preston. But he headed it right into volleying territory. Yeah. Um, and then for the rest of the first half, we didn't really look close to making any kind of breakthrough, I don't think. Yeah, it was pretty dispiriting. Um, I quite frankly felt like I wanted to go home at halftime, which I think some people actually did, because um, it was hard enough to get around to the other side of the pitch. Um, to be fair to the players, I don't think their heads dropped. I think we've had games, certainly um, recently, where we've conceded a goal maybe we didn't need to concede, and that can really affect you mentally. I think they did really well to sort of carry on fighting. Yeah. Yeah, Gav said after the game that he, at half-time the message was don't leave anything out on the pitch. Go out there and give it your all. Otherwise, what's the point? And they did. They they absolutely turned it around. They, they came out and Billericke had already shut up shot by that point. They were noticeably time-wasting and not really creating any more chances for themselves. They, would, they were happy to sit on that 2-0 lead, which would have done them good. But we wanted it. And, you know, we've shown that Perhaps when we go up in the lead and we switch off a little bit, we're susceptible to conceding. Well, it turns out other teams are like that too. And, yeah, we uh, we got we got a good result in the end, didn't we? Well, they lost four on the bounce before they came to Chamberlain Hill. And they've been playing very poorly, uh, as the results would suggest. So they dropped out of the playoff spots. And in that second half, they didn't look like a good team to me. Um, I always think... I always wonder how Danny Waldron keeps getting in that side <laughs> because I'm not entirely sure what he brings to it. He The game seems to pass him by, um, which it often does whenever we play against them and he's playing in the centre of the pitch. And they didn't have Sam Deering, who is a player who's far too good for the Conference South, who makes Billericke tick. Uh, he's very, He's a kind of small little playmaker who's really technical and, and sees passes and is really dynamic. They didn't have him. And so they didn't really play any football in the second half of note. And we were on top for pretty much all of it. Yeah. The weird thing about playing Billericke is I never feel like we play the same team twice. Like, they're always in some sort of different theatrical situation behind the scenes. And it means just every time we play them, they're turning up with a completely different squad. And obviously you do have these kind of enduring figures like I think Deering has been there a little while now um, Alan Julian the goalkeeper um, who had a bit of a theatrical display himself as we'll get into uh, but yeah I don't know they're such a funny team and uh, you know we might we might talk a bit about the, the rivalry that's grown in the last few years shortly afterwards but um, yeah I just felt like this is that was the most mediocre Billericke side that I've seen us play against in quite some time yeah, I wasn't particularly surprised when we got that penalty. Nyron was brought down in the 80th minute. Um, I can't remember who brought him down, but he took a touch onto a ball over the top and I think someone clipped his heels and he went down. And Gav made a point after the game about our players doing that, particularly our wingers, like actually committing themselves past their marker and yeah. trying to get a foul or a penalty. And that's exactly what he did. He took a touch and moved across his man. Um, I couldn't actually see in the highlights whether he clipped him or not. 
but I don't really care because our players haven't really ever had a habit of doing that and being yeah. really clever. I thought it looked light on the on the replay, but you know we've had so many times this season where I felt like we have been tried to beat our man like that and not been given anything. And uh, you know this was a case of the point of, of the referee actually seeing something and deeming it worthy of a penalty. So Dippo dispatched it, didn't he? Um, another goal for him. Um, it's got to boost, boost his confidence slightly, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I did notice that he spent like a little moment after the goal celebrating in front of the fans, even though we kind of need to track on with things. But, it, you know, it's good to have him, for him to have his moment um, because he was one of these guys who absolutely left everything out on the pitch, works hard. Um, so, got back to 2-1. Um, we were throwing the kitchen sink at it, weren't we? I think Preston was, was coming up with... Yeah, he came up some corners. Came up some corners, yeah. Um, he came up for a corner after about 90 minutes, I think, and then stayed up for two passages of play after. Um, it was one of those brilliant moments where the keeper starts running back, but he's got his eye on the play, and the ball always usually goes out to the wings. He's always looking out to the wing, but also running back to the halfway line. Yeah. But then as soon as the ball comes back the other way, they just do a U-turn and run straight back. Like, yeah, even yeah, if yeah. they're being told to go back, they always do the U-turn and come straight back. <laughs> That's exactly what he did. And then a cross came in and got cleared again. So he turned around again and was running back yeah. to the halfway line and then turned again and came back. Yeah, because we want it back. It almost looked like it might be a foul for Billericke, which, you know, would have killed it. But we want it back. It was played out to, to Dom Vos, um, sort of on the on the left edge of the box. Whips in this in-swinging ball that was just totally into the, the corridor of uncertainty. And, uh, yeah, big Lloyd Doyley headed it into his own net. Um, one of our own yeah it did look like an incredible diving header yeah Magnus tried to claim it um, ex Watford Lloyd Dorley that is yeah exactly over over 400 games for Watford no less yeah um, and it just shows to show like all that experience and you can uh, still capable of scoring an own goal but didn't really matter for us did it it was absolute jubilation uh, <laughs> scenes the scenes behind the goal yeah with some of the best I've seen in recent years the last one I've seen that good I don't know, maybe Ashkari's free kick against Worthing. That was pretty good. Uh, I can't think of many other better ones. I mean, it was all... <clears throat> Arms, legs, beer. Arms, legs, beer. People falling think, over, phones being broken. Because of the increased crowd that I think was our record crowd ever at Champion Hill. The sun was out. So you score a 92-minute, 93-minute equaliser against Billerica, who are your fiercest rivals in the league. I mean... Doesn't get much better, does no. it? It's moments like that where nothing else matters, and it's just sheer joy. If I'd have, if I'd been in near a bin, I would have banged it on the floor. <laughs> That's my sort of like go-to celebration. <laughs> um, yeah, and that was pretty much the last kick of the game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, at the final whistle, the keeper, Billericay keeper Alan Julian, um, came over, grabbed a towel and his bottle from the net. And uh, clapped to us and gave us a smile. And uh, despite conceding a 93rd, 94th minute own goal equaliser, I, I kind of still respected him for doing that. And it kind of, even throughout the entire game, and he's always been a good sport, like in all the years that we've played against Billericay, like being behind the goal and baiting him for 90 minutes, like every time we play them. And he always joins in, he always plays like the pantomime villain. He, he likes doing it, he gives something back. Well, even before the game, when we got there early, he came over and had a word. Oh, yeah. Because, um, obviously, he's played at Champion Hill many times, and yeah. we've been over there. Um, 
Yeah, and he was he's always been super super friendly. You're right. There is a, there's definitely a villainous aspect to him, but you you can't fault he's a good keeper and he's a good bloke. It just makes such a difference, I think, when they actually engage with you. Rather than we were talking about it during the game, like if you get a Premier League keeper or a keeper from the football league who's on loan at a club at our level, he's like 19 or 20. They're so focused on the game. They've just been like drilled into this robotic yeah, yeah. focus that they can't, they don't even hear it. Or if they do hear it, they're never going to engage, ever. Whereas a keeper like him, even though he's played in the league for like Gillingham, I think he might play for Leighton Orient, a couple of other clubs, he's kind of been around this level long enough now to know that it's probably all right for you to do that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I remember talking to Phil Wilson about. That, you know, he's, he said that like over the years, like he's had some great encounters with fans, and it's it's also it's almost that shame that we'll well we did we did have it actually away this year at um, what that club called that you know managers it's all Glebe. Glebe. Glebe, yes, we did it to him at Glebe this season uh, in the cup, but you know you, it's a shame we can't have that camaraderie with with our own keeper sometimes because we're barracking the uh, the opposition one. That camera might have gone a bit too far, though, because uh, we were actually joined for the game by a uh, long, long-term podcast listener and general online friend, uh, David Wilcox, who's a Bristol Rovers fan, uh, whose name on Twitter is Terry Nutkin. Uh, he's a ground hopper, loves his football, loves his non-league football, always travels all over Europe watching 40, 50, 60 games a season. And... Uh, Saturday, it's Billy Ricky was his first ever Dulwich game, despite promising for years and years to come along and actually enjoy a game with us in the flesh. So he chose that game. And before he came, I said, oh, you know, I'm not sure you've chosen the right game or I'm not sure how you're going like, to find it. And uh, he was great value for the whole game. He stood with us for a lot of it. And he actually came up with one of the best chants of the game, uh, which was directed at Alan Julian, the keeper, which was... <laughs> Uh, your name is a key. Your name is a key. Alan the keeper. Your name is a key, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and then also, <laughs> ten minutes before the end, he turned to me and he said, "He's a Bristol lad. So he's got a great accent." And I, I don't mean to uh, uh, give you guys a very bad impression of it, but I just love it so much. So I'm going to try. He turned, he turned to me and said. There's something we do, right, with keepers, and sometimes it puts them off. But what is it? And he said, well, towards the end of a game, all you do is shout, Oi, keeper, show us your arse. <laughs> and he said, most of the time, they do it. So he, <laughs> he called Alan out and said, Oi, Alan, show us your arse. And after about 20 seconds of asking, he pulled down his shorts and did it. And that was about five minutes before Diffo scored. <laughs> <laughs> Does he get an assist? I hope so. <laughs> Deserves one. Yeah, no, it was it was great to see him. And um, weirdly, we kind of got to know him through him following the Twitter account and, you know, commenting in on our stuff. And it turned out that we'd actually played against him in a seven-a-side tournament, yeah. like the summer before. For Dulwich. Yeah, for Dulwich. He was playing for a Bristol Rovers supporters team in goal. And there's actually some photo of me like walking <laughs> off the pitch in a shirt so big and baggy that it looks like a dress, shaking his hand. So we had met many moons ago, but it was it was great to see him again. I just remember that game because he was playing in goal and I was playing up front. And I remember him at one point shouting, Oi, someone mark Jerry Essex. <laughs> <laughs> well, you wouldn't get the comparison now, would you? No, I had quite a nice fade at the time. And probably quite a good tan, actually. And clean shave, and that'll do it. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of Essex, is it 
is it good opportunity to talk about some of the behaviour that? Yeah, well, I mean, we've covered the game, so we should probably cover what happened off the pitch as well, which is to be honest, right. is going to take us almost as long. I'd like to mention the sticker. Yeah, let's start with that because it's brilliant. Like, I, I, you know, I love a Dulwich sticker being the uh, the 33 year old man, 32 year old man that carries a box of stickers around every, everywhere he goes. Everyone takes the piss. But um, it was Will Clunas who gave me the sticker, uh, which, the, which Billy Ricky, I think Billy Ricky fans have made it, right? We, I, I assume so. It must yeah. have been. Yeah. <clears throat> so at the top in pink, it said, champion of this hill. Clever. Yeah, I get it, yeah. And at the bottom, it had the Billy Ricky mural. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very, a very small segment of sticker had the, the Billericay mural. That's the mural of Glenn Tamplin at uh, Billericay's ground. Yeah, for those and who then aren't. the main sort of focus of the sticker was Glenn Tamplin holding an avocado uh, with a photoshopped beard on. Because, obviously, as all the Dulwich fans know, two of the most hipster things you could possibly have is an avocado and a beard. So I think it was brilliant of them to do a special one-off sticker for this game, like kudos to them for doing that because stickers are expensive <laughs> you know and when you've got a multi-millionaire funding your club you've got to fund the stickers yourself someone's paying for those and I don't think it's Glenn is I, it? I didn't really re- I didn't think about the fact they made it just specifically for the games and we should we should give them some praise for that but I thought the sticker was fucking terrible I mean it was awful <laughs> yeah I mean, it was awful I'm trying to get I'm trying to make it, I'm trying to be positive here <laughs> Like I, I would happily laugh at a sticker that I thought was like good, even if it took the piss out of us. But it was so bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, beards and avocados are quite good, so I'm happy to revel in that stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd rather be known as Ollie the Dulwich Hamlet hipster fan because I've got quite a ginger beard and I'm a photographer. Sort of all the hipster things. I'd rather take that as a mantle than be associated with some of the behaviours and um, actions that some of the Billericay fans were maybe lumbered with after their display at Champion Hill. Yeah. Before we get into that too heavily, I would like to caveat this in that we've travelled to Billericay quite a few times and generally we've been met with quite a good reception there. I've had decent chats with a lot of their fans, a lot of their fans have been coming for decades, big fans of the club. Um, when we last played, when we played them last season at um, at their ground, it was the game we talked about on the podcast a few weeks ago. You know, just after we were being kicked out of the ground, we'd had our name taken away from us, and fans were coming up to us and saying, you know, I hope you guys pull through this. Like, oh, yeah. no, no one likes to see this happen to your club. Don't get me wrong, I'm not berating all of the Billericay fans. Absolutely. I had a great time at the away game. Yeah, um, yeah. All their staff were amazing, but <clears throat> there was a vocal minority that came to this game on Saturday. Wearing Billericay shirt, supporting Billericay, that did some things that are pretty obnoxious, quite frankly, and have no place at our ground or any ground or in society generally. Um, yeah, I wasn't really aware of anything during the game. But then um, as I made my way around to the bar after full time, I think uh, one of the club volunteers came up to me and said that they ripped down the LGB... Um, the multicoloured flag bits and pieces at the Greendale end they just ripped it down yeah yeah and then someone had put it back up afterwards or like bits of it what they could recover and then yeah we've had that rainbow bunting at that end for 
God knows how long. And yeah, it sounds like they ripped it down. They're the first fans out of every single club who's visited since we put that up over a year ago to give it any attention. Yeah. First fans of any club. Uh, it was pathetic. Yeah. Um, and then um, something else around that same time happened after the full-time whistle. There was some sort of flag paraded on the pitch. Yeah, so they brought a Union Jack with them that had leave means leave on it. And they put it up at their end during the game. And then after the game, a number of their fans were coming on the pitch with this flag and, and taking photos of it. And, you know, let's not get into a discussion about Brexit, but it did feel like it was a particularly targeted thing for Dulwich in like what is known widely as like a multicultural area, a Remain constituency. And it felt like they, they were coming here and, and making a statement, which is frankly like provocative and it... I feel like it undermines the football slightly. Absolutely, yeah. Like, you know, there's... There's plenty of people who've who've made South London their home from all over the country and from Europe and beyond, and you know that's quite well widely reported. And for them to turn up with this political statement that says you're not welcome here at your own ground is um is pretty spiteful, I think. So yeah, not kind of put a bit of a downer on what was a. Incredible day, to be honest. Someone did say that it wasn't just fans; it was match officials who were post, who were uh, sorry, Billericay club officials who were posing with it as well. I don't, I didn't actually see that, but somebody claimed that on Twitter. I don't know if that's true. Um, I certainly saw people in Billericay shirts parading this flag around, having their photos taken. Yeah. And um, it just seemed like something really smarmy that, um, you know, was unnecessary, to be honest. Uh. Next up, on the same subject, uh, in the bar after the game, um, usually fans of any club that come here, win, lose or draw, will come into the bar and have a drink with us. We'll talk to them and ask them about their experiences across the season, about supporting their own club, uh, about where they hope to finish at the end of the season, anything. You know, you just chat to people who are also a fan of a non-league football club, right? We've got something in common. And I came into the bar after the game, and there's just this group of Billericay fans uh, nearest the entrance, like that's that end of the bar, who were getting served by one of our barmen, who's actually working here tonight. Um, really nice guy. And as he was serving them, like he was halfway through giving them like six drinks that they'd ordered, I think. They just all like come together and just start start singing. Oh, uh, by the way, if you're listening to this with children, <laughs> or you're not a fan of the C word. Then I'm going to give you a moment this now. Your five second warning. To either fast forward or pause and move on or whatever. Um, so you've had your warning, um, and it's not chicken. It's something very different. Um, they was they started singing um, "We're Dulwich Hamlet." We look like cunts, like just over and over again on a loop. Like four or five really drunk lads, like at, at the bar as they're being served by a barman who is clearly probably a fan of the club because he's working in the clubhouse, and they're surrounded by Dulwich Hamlet fans. Mm. And all the players are coming out of the dress. It's just like, you're, again, you're the only fans who've ever done that in the time that I've been coming here. I don't remember any other fans being as provocative. I mean, I think what, what it says to me is that these people who, who came are bandwagon jumpers and 
maybe from the area want to want to you know jump on the Billericay name and use that as a chance to provoke people and like put out a political message which they have some sort of cause to believe in because that's not non-league behaviour, is it? That's like football league fan behaviour. Well, it's not really football fan behaviour at all. It's just no, behaviour well, of, I think of people who are we've seen wankers. with our increased attendances since we've been back in Champion Hill. We do have, and we mentioned it on the last pod, and you've definitely mentioned it on Twitter, that there are, we, we do, as Dulwich Hamlet, have our own fans that turn up and can be either, abu- not abusive, but, you know, more vocal um, than they need to be. Or And I feel, as a fan, I'm often in the, I'm, I'm often in the uh, crowd behind the goal. If someone is behaving in a way that I don't think is fitting for a non-league crowd or just unacceptable, I will. I, you know, I'm happy to say, look, but that's sort of not how it goes here. We, you know, we are football for all, and maybe keep your opinions to yourself and just watch the football. Um, and I just, I just think maybe. Billy Ricky having the same problem in that they've got a reputation and some people are jumping on board and not particularly there for the football, maybe. So I don't want to berate them too much. I also would like to say we did have some extra fans here this week because Sunderland playing in the Checker Trade Trophy on Sunday at Wembley. So to the second highest appearance, uh, highest attendance fact this weekend... Dulwich on Saturday, Checker Trade final on Sunday. Is it 42,000? 82,000. 82. It was the second biggest attendance in Europe after Barcelona. Excellent, excellent. And It's amazing, isn't it? It was lovely to see the Sunderland fans at Tooting when we had them last year due to a clerical area, uh, error by a sports company. <laughs> yeah, what was it? Uh, the game got moved to a Monday night, so they'd all booked their trains. I think it was Millwall away. <laughs> And yeah. so very, very kindly, um, Dulwich arranged to have any Sunderland fan given a free ticket for oh, our game. Yeah. So a number of them actually took us up on that offer. And we had about mm. probably 40 or 50 that day. Many who stayed around in the clubhouse down in Tuing yeah. afterwards <laughs> yeah. did some great renditions of uh, Noel Quinn's disco pants, which is my <laughs> new favourite chant. <clears throat> it's just interesting as well, isn't it, that, you know, we were the two clubs that got promoted last season. And um, they've been challenging near the top had a bit of a weird season themselves and we've been like now find ourselves in this relegation battle and it's not necessarily a surprise because we have come into this season with quite different resources and situations but I don't know what do you guys think do you think do you see the Billy Ricky game as a rivalry do you think they can be considered our, our main rivals I know geographically they're not and I'm sure I'll get plenty of uh, older fans telling me that it's the tooting and no one else but I certainly feel like this game has got quite heated um, incrementally since we've started playing them. Well, this this happens with ro- football rivalries all over the world, doesn't it? Sometimes it's not geographical. Um, sometimes there's just an incident that happens that sparks a rivalry and then it grows and grows and grows and becomes this snowballing, um, you know, just a greater importance given to every game that's played. Yeah. Um, every time it happens, and I think that's going to keep happening. If they keep, if they like keep, a sort of Palace keep, Brighton situation. Yeah. Um, and if it keeps, if they keep behaving like that every time they come here, that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, 
I don't think they would have brought that many people to the Hampton away game. And I don't think they would have behaved like they did um, at a Hampton away game, for instance. Um, you know, another kind of London away ground for them. Yeah. I think they I think they probably do see this as a as a grudge match for, I think it's gonna for a keep number going. of different reasons. I think and it'll keep <clears> going. I think every time we go there it will probably be less of an occasion. Just because I think less of our fan base are as provocative or want to be as um, intimidating as some of those fans who attended on Saturday, just by nature. So I think it will it will be diluted every time we go there, and then when they come here, it'll be ramped up again because they'll behave as they have done. And it might recently. be also that you know we're a platform we, with our high attendances. Um, Maybe there's more reason to behave like that because your reach is further. They'll know they'll make the local press or whatever. Or, hmm. um, but just on the attendances, actually, while we're talking about it, that attendance against Billericay was 3,243, um, which is our highest attendance ever. At Champion Hill. Biggest attendance ever at Champion Hill. Um, and a few people have taken it upon themselves to give some context to this attendance in terms of teams in the in our league um someone's posted on urban actually uh, partisan dulwich so thanks for doing this since we returned to champion hill um our gates have been 3,002 2,779, 1,960, and 3,243 for that game against Billericay, which gives you an average of 2,740. Um, so actually, thank you to Peter Lyons, who's tweeted this. It's been copied and pasted by Partizan Dulwich onto um, the online urban forum. That means that um, the average attendance now has overtaken Woking, uh, they are on 1,735 and we're second behind Torquay, ex-league Torquay, um, here on 2,268. Uh, apparently, that makes us the 16th highest English and Welsh non-league... Oh, he's just finished the sentence. <laughs> I'm reading it verbatim and it says, that makes us presently 16th highest English and Welsh non-league. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Does it? Okay. Yeah, so 16th. Yeah. Okay. Make of that what you will, yep. listeners. Uh, and <laughs> and si- sixth highest of all non-league club, if you take attendances average since return to Champion Hill. Okay. Um, and then I also wanted to check what, how that compares to clubs above us in terms of, when I say above us, I mean in leagues above us. And our average attendance since we returned to Champion Hill of 2,740 would... Well, does make us, or would make us, sorry, the fifth highest or fifth best attended club in the National League. That's amazing, isn't it? So, so the only clubs <coughs> that would be above us are Hartlepool, ex-league, Chesterfield, ex-league, Wrexham, ex-league, and Leighton Orient, ex-league. Yeah, so had we been a bit better on the pitch and got promoted this season which is now totally off the cards um we would find ourselves as still one of the best sport clubs 
in the conference. And then what's actually interesting is if you even go up one more level still to uh, to League Two, um, we are st- we'd still be you know punching above our weight. Um, yeah. So in League Two, um, we would be the twentieth twentieth best attended club. Yeah. So and we'd slot in above Stevenage, Forest Green, Macclesfield, Crawley, and Morecambe, and we'd be just behind Yeovil. So Dippo played a bit of football at Stevenage in League Two, and he's now come back to Dulwich permanently and is playing in front of more people. It's mad, isn't it? Um, so that that attendance on Saturday of 3,243, there were some games in the early 2000s, or maybe just before Gav took over, towards the end of the 2000s, that our average home attendance was around 300. So that's a tenfold increase in about 10 years. Yeah. So the first game that I went to as a Dulwich fan was the first game of 2013-14, first season back in the Ryman Prem. believe that was gave about 800. So from there to now, it's a four times increase. But, <laughs> yeah, what, what a day it was. Um, have we pontificated enough about Saturday? Is there anything else we can say about Saturday? Um, Covered a lot of territory. Ollie got really drunk and fell asleep on his neighbour's car. Oh, don't tell them that. <laughs> well, there's photos still the tail, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, but they'll see them and then they'll charge me for the dent in the roof. I mean, they probably do listen, so you're mm. fucked. Are they one of the 3,242? I don't think they were there, thank goodness, but they might listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was... Is that enough for Billericay? Yeah? I think we cover Billericay, yeah. I think it was... If you weren't there, you missed a great game. Yeah. You'll have to come to one of the few games we have left in the season. Yeah, there's only two home games left. Uh, Hungerford. Hungerford Town. Hungerford Town, and then... In just over a week. <coughs> and then Woking. Woking, yeah. Which Woking. apparently, or... There's rumours that it's going to be the segregated, which might make it the first ever segregated league game here, I think. Hmm. Well, we'll see about that. We'll keep you updated. It's they're on, going to be going um, for the title, aren't they? They're going to yeah, bring thousands, probably. Yeah, it's on Easter Monday. Um, the fridge is back. There's a, going to be a lot riding on that game by the looks of it, but from their point of view and from ours. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll keep you updated on that one because, um, yeah, we certainly like to talk about the numbers. Um, so that's two games in front. Uh, a game in the past was Oxford City. Uh, none of us attended. Yeah, we reckon various. this was the first game that none of our little posse have been to this season. So I'm afraid we're not going to be particularly insightful about this one. Um, well, we don't have to be because luckily I've uh, got Tom Bale to fill us in. So uh, without further ado, here is uh, Mr. Tom Bale's coverage of that game. They come uh, the home side. Brandon Thomas Asante's got in a shot and he scored. Well, they broke from the goal kick. Taylor's been turned by Shimango. He's got to do it all his own way, running at the uh, Dulwich defence. On the overlap is uh, Wiltshire, can take a touch, draws Edwards, gets in the shot, that's 2-0. Oh, so easy, Oxford finding space again behind the Dulwich defence. Here's Shimango running at Essiman, looking to drive towards the area now, just inside the area is Fleets. Goes to shoot, referee's given a penalty, foul. Tajbacks caught the back of Reese Fleets' boot as he looked to uh, have a shot on goal there. Shimango against Edwards. 
Can Dulles keep it out? Sends in the wrong way. It's 3-0. And still not quite 25 minutes on the clock. Thomas Asante running at Taylor. Step over and playing out wide. Wiltshire's waiting. We're going to send four into the area. Wiltshire's low cross. Shouts of handball. Maskell has uh, stuck his arm out. The assistant flagged on the far side. It's another penalty. And he will come out on top this time. Shimanga again. He went high this time. Edwards went the right way, but you don't save those. Even at full stretch. The centre high, Kabi Shimanga, has his second of the afternoon. Oxford of four. It's become a rout already. And this game is uh, done and dusted before we reach half time. So fancy having a go at goal here, Connor Hunt gets to the edge of the D. Akinyemi, he will always shoot. Great goal. Excellent goal from Akinyemi. Outside the boot, 20 yards out into the top corner. It's a really fine goal, unfortunately, for Dulwich as a consolation. But the Dulwich fans can at least cheer. Uh, something this afternoon. It's an outstanding finish from Akinyemi. Really sublime. 4-0 down after about half an hour, which isn't the first time it's happened this season, uh, including two penalties. And Hugo, our other stats man, I believe you have something to say on this. Well, obviously this is second hand because this has come directly from Tom Bale. But I can tell you that we have conceded 13 penalties this season. 13? <laughs> yeah. How many? 13. Crikey. And the last time we saved a penalty was in the playoff final. So we've not saved any of them. Which is even Preston. Weird because last season Preston absolutely loved a penalty save. Including no Preston Party Day. Including no Preston Party Day. But this season, not so much. I don't even remember him getting close to one. Certainly didn't get close to the one in this game. It was an absolute the second penalty of a penalty into the roof of the net. The second one by that the striker. That Gav actually described in his post-match interview as the best forward that we faced this season. And he looked really handy. High praise indeed. It was a really nice left-footed finish from him for the opening goal that went, I think, through Michael Chambers' legs and into the bottom corner past Preston's left hand. And then that right-footed penalty that he hit into, into the roof of the net. Very, yeah. co very confident strike. It's one yeah. of the best penalties I've ever seen. It's rare that you see a penalty that like keeps on rising into the roof <laughs> of the net. but I think it's still going. Yeah. Isn't it? But it's really good where it hits the roof of the net and then it kind of just slams its way around the back of the goal and comes back out. Yeah. That's how hard he hit it. <laughs> Delicious. And then, uh, which one was first? Was it, um, I still can't pronounce his name very well, despite it being phonetic. Takbash? Tak, Takbash? Takbash. I mean, Takbash. Yeah. He conceded a penalty. He fouled someone from behind. And Jamie Maskell handed, handled a cross. That was the second penalty, I believe. So it's 4-0 at half-time. That's Preston's job, isn't it? Um, yeah, giving the, giving the players the support they deserve. Um, yeah, no, a bit of a shocker. It's one of these ones that, as I said, none of us were at the game, and we were all obviously checking, and the WhatsApp group was... I, I didn't check my phone for half an hour, and I came back and it said 4-0. Well, yeah, quite. <laughs> it's just like... What? That's surely football webpages is crashing or something. Um... Maybe, maybe you're wondering whose fault it was, listeners. The, the responsibility lies on us for not going. But uh, no, to be fair, we've just not been very good away from home this year, have we? We talked about the form in the, on the last podcast and how, you know, towards the start of the season, we were a lot, well, the results were a lot more equal in terms of how we were playing. But now it's the only points we get are at Champion Hill and we just can't pick up a, a point for love nor money on the road. 
Yeah, and the, from the highlights, that pitch at Oxford looked awful as well. Like, I didn't write it. It was one of those 3G pitches that's just full of rubber crumb. So when everyone, anyone kicks the ball, there's just like a plume of black crumb that yeah. explodes into the air. And it was so the pitch was so slow. And we're famously not very good on 3G. Despite, Historically. Do we, do we still train on it, though? I think we do. Which I think we train at Bromley, don't we? Which is yeah. which is that's 3G. I know it's a weird one. I, I think every 3G, every pitch seems to be different at these artificial ones, and you would think it would suit our game quite well because if the pitch is good and not not damp and the ball doesn't get held up, we can play like slick attacking passing football that we used to be known for week in week out. And I think we still want to play like that, but I mean just I don't haven't really get, been able to play like that. I don't think we can blame 3G. It's like Jurgen Klopp blaming the weather. Yeah, I quite like that though. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, you will have heard at the end like that that goal from Dippo. Watching it back, like the ball basically just seemed to stop in front of him, but he just kind of caresses it into the top it, corner. It's it lovely. was slightly similar to Ronaldinho's goal at Stamford Bridge for Barca. What a comparison. I way. love how you have a comparison for like every half decent goal that we score. <laughs> a lot of the material on Ream, but it's nice to see Ronaldinho making an appearance for a change. Well, it's just the way he trapped it and the ball stopped and he was stood still and then he just brought his leg back and just hit it with the outside of his foot and it flew away and swung away from the keeper. God, I wonder if Dippo's ever been publicly called out and compared to he, Ronaldinho. He has now. Yeah. It was a hell of a goal and probably is one of our goals of the season. It was yeah, brilliant. I'm looking forward just, to that compilation. It's a shame it came at 4-0 down away at Oxford City. Uh, but yeah, there's not much else to say about that really. It's just another one for the bad pile. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is a rather large, growing. large pile this season. <laughs> Consigned to the bad pile. <laughs> um, so yeah, anybody else got anything else to say on that? No, let's move on. I think should we move on to are we doing question time? Yeah, so um Do we need a jingle for this? We could do, it just means more editing now and I'm lazy, so Okay. Um forward the hammered, answer your questions. Bow. <laughs> uh so for the first time ever, as we mentioned earlier, we actually uh remembered to ask our listeners and our followers on social media for their contributions and what they want, might want us to answer or cover in a podcast. And, thankfully, quite a few of you got involved. Um, there was a lot of tosh as well, from what I saw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a lot of really bad stuff, because a lot of you were But keep it coming but... in, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to keep doing this. It's a really good idea, and I, I'm a bit sad we haven't done it before, to be honest. Uh, I'm actually scrolling through them, because there's quite a lot. Uh, where's the first one? Hang on, bear with me a sec. Someone say something interesting. Well, I know one of them because I've recently bought myself from the Ford the Hamlet shop uh, a Ashley Crew Mia Moore t-shirt, which I will be showcasing at Chippenham this weekend. Yeah, Ben was showcasing his on... Uh on Saturday, yeah. and actually this might be quite a nice window to talk about something that happened to Ben the night before. Would you like to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, okay, so the fan contribution thing will happen in about 60 seconds. So uh, I, I was in Printworks on Friday, just gone, uh, because Annie Mac was hosting a night. Uh, so I went along to Printworks and pretended I was 10 years younger than I actually am, and uh, danced to some 
electronic music. And as I went to the bar at one point near midnight, uh, the bar was about three or four deep. And the guy turned around to pass a set of drinks to his friend who was behind me. And he looked at me in the eyes, passed his drinks over to his friend. And then as he was coming back past me, he leant into my ear and I said, this is going to sound really weird. And then he pulled back and looked at me in the eyes again. And then he came back in and went, all right, Ford the Hamlet. <laughs> and you had no idea who he was? No idea. Brilliant. I wasn't wearing any, like, Dalit stuff. I was just wearing a black T-shirt. And then he walked off and went back to the bar, like, really smoothly. So obviously I went up and was like, what the hell? And uh, he just said that he recognised me from games. And then he said, um, oh, do you know that person who ordered three Ashley Carew T-shirts last week? I was like, yeah, I saw that come in. He said, that was me. <laughs> and then he pointed over my shoulder and he said, it was for him and him and me. Oh, that's <laughs> and awesome. His, and his teammates were over there. And apparently the Ashley Carew thing is a big thing for them because every time they used to come... Like they, used to, they used to come quite intermittently, I think. And every time they came, Ash Carew would score. Well, Ash Carew's um, a legend, so... Yeah, so uh, that was quite funny. That's brilliant. That's probably the best fan encounter we've ever had. Probably, yeah. I think it's the only one, to be honest. So what's the first uh, question we're going to take from the from the Twitter? Uh, let's do... He this. got distracted telling a story about his fanboy one. situation. Jack Wilson 89 asks, when and why did you start going to Dulwich Hamlet? What made you so passionate about it? Who wants to answer that first? Uh, I can kick us off. I've alluded to that game already today. Um, I grew up in South London, so always kind of been aware of, of Dulwich Hamlet. Yeah, the, the accent gives it away. Guilty. Um, I'd never been uh, to a game before. And then I just graduated come back to, to move home and uh, first game of 2013-14 season got invited to meet up with some friends to watch a bit of cricket in the pub in the afternoon in the EDT I thought you were going to say got invited to watch Dulwich Hamlet <laughs> no, no it's, not, it's not as simple as that and I turned up at the Never pub is. and they were like oh we're going to go and watch Dulwich um, at 3 if you fancy coming obviously big football fan wouldn't say no to a game I turn up and within the first 10 minutes we'd already saved the penalty and Erwin was playing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Believe it was against Lowestoft, um, this game. And it's a nice sunny day. And yeah, Erwin was playing. I think Harry Ottaway might have been playing too. And I I just loved it. It was a very sort of social atmosphere. And I kind of felt from that point I wanted to keep coming as much as possible. And after the last game of that first season of my going, um, it was a really big crowd. We, We were in a playoff push, but. Then we lost to Kingstonian and meant we didn't get into the playoffs. We drew. We drew. Oh, yeah, we drew. Um, and afterwards, um, Jack McEnroy, um, who was the host of South London Hardcore, asked me if I wanted to start a podcast, the first Dulwich Hamlet podcast. And uh, here we are still going today. There you go. That's my story. What about you, Ollie? Uh, I'm really lucky in the f- that I live on Dog Kennel Hill. So my Saturday mornings used to be waking up to the dulcet towns of, tones of uh, Liam Hickey uh, reading out team sheets. And uh, it wasn't... What are you getting up at quarter to three? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm a freelancer. Of course I get up at three. But I mean, I'm assuming he's testing the stereo and stuff. But I would always listen to Liam in the morning. Wondered what it was. Because uh, you woke up next to Liam Hickey. <laughs> And then Jules Who and I hasn't? came down. Yeah, true. Jules and I came down once because 
he's a big football fan, and I can't remember the first game we came to. But I do remember being at the bottom of the fire exit stairs and shouting at an opposition player, your boots look like my nan's cushions. And <laughs> I'm sure he remembers that too. Oh, I hope you didn't hear. Unfortunately, a lady next to me heard and just turned around to me and went, you don't come to football much, do you? <laughs> and I've never looked back. It was brilliant. It was a great experience. I've spent a lot of, a lot of time in here. A lot of, not just this weekend, which was sunny and beautiful and it was the atmospheric. I spent a lot of Tuesday rainy, rainy Tuesday nights watching the under-16s play and all sorts of terrible things that have happened here. But it, what a pitch. better place for it. On the pitch, yeah. yeah, And off the pitch. There's been some, there's been some great stuff happening in the bar. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, I think my, my first game, um, similar to you, Hugo, was probably memorable mainly because of Earth and Oztuma. It was a three-all draw. I get confused about who it was against. I think it was Hampton Richmond. I do remember there was an Erhan hat-trick, including a penalty, a lob from the edge of the box, and running to wrong goal and sitting the keeper down and rolling it into an empty net. And that was before the teams got taken off after an hour because this incredible hailstorm just descended on Champion Hill to the point where it was so dark, even with the floodlights on, you couldn't see anything. I remember that, yeah. So all the the referee took everyone off the pitch after an hour for about 20 minutes. Everyone came on into the club bar and then we went back out and there were no further goals, I don't think, but the game restarted and it finished 3-3. I've got, got to fucking come back to this. <laughs> but the reason I first came was because I saw Brixton Buzz match reports online. So I, that's how I first started finding out. I knew about the club anyway because I knew quite a lot about non-league football. I knew I lived nearby because I moved to Herne Hill a couple of years before, or maybe, yeah, about 18 months before. Um, but I just hadn't found time to come down. And like I started reading the Brixton Buzz photo match reports. And I kept, honestly, I kept seeing photos of Rob being like, who is that guy wearing leopard print? And it, why is, why has he got a voodoo stick? And why has he got green and pink hair? What is going on? Uh, and who's that guy next to him in a builder's hard hat? And who's that guy in <laughs> jogging bottoms and shoes, as in smart shoes? <laughs> it's like, I've got to go and see this lot. Uh, so I did, and I never looked back. I, yeah. I came down on my own. Yeah. That's uh, how we became mates, wasn't it? Yeah. You slid into my DMs not, not long afterwards, <laughs> and we went for a romantic drink at the Florence. Oh. Um, and what, a, what an amazing... I mean, uh, for, for every story that, that you guys have, there must be a million stories like this, because yeah. this is how I met you guys, was yeah. at the football. Yeah. This is how I met Silent Jack at the football. He now lives with us. There's talk of you moving into our house. It's going to be pretty... Well, yeah, he's definitely moving into our house. <laughs> <laughs> so, after, after four years of... It's a bit of a surprise for <laughs> After four years of coming to Dulwich, I've now got an entire house full of Dulwich fans. Yeah. Which yeah. is excellent. And yeah. I think that's what's so important about Dulwich, is the community is excellent. Well, that, that's the, the second part of Jack's question, actually, the, which I don't think any of us really covered. But what made you so? What's made not, you so not silent, Jack? Well, you're not silent anymore, are you? <laughs> God, one job. <laughs> um, what made you so passionate about it? Yeah, I think we've sort of covered that. Or oh, no, apparently we haven't at all. Um, <laughs> I guess you 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 become invested in something the more time you put towards it and I think 
I just had the sense after coming to that first game that I wanted to come back and it became more and more of a regular thing. My first away game was Wingate and Finchley a few months after that that first game and slowly it just becomes like the fixture of your weekend, no pun intended. Um, and it's the relationships you build around that that are really important too. Um, and I think also being kind of integrated into the infrastructure of the club quite quickly too, like we got to know Gavin pretty quickly from doing the podcast and Junior as well, like would have my number and he'd text me like the youth team results oh, on a yeah. Sunday morning so we could tweet them out from the account. I forgot about and that. I know just all these little things like you're you're made to feel part of the community that you want to make. Um, I think it sounds quite cliche, but we are a club that heavily relies on the community. Um, we also do a lot for the community, but it takes volunteers and community members to be able to do that sort of stuff. And for me, like sort of being ingratiated into the club, the fans were really nice. They were just nice people to get along with. And then as soon as I started coming here, coming in more and getting to know people, and people would say, oh, you know, oh, I don't suppose you can give us a hand with this. And I'm more than happy to. And then you get, you know, everyone's thankful. Everyone's, you know, polite and generous. And you just feel like, I think for me being in London, it's really... It, London's so busy, it can be still quite a lonely place. And when you've got, certainly for youngsters, it's relatively easy to have a social scene, but there's a lot of people that come here that don't have that um, level of support or community or friendship. And that's quite important. For me, I was like seeing all these people from various aspects of our community and just realising like how valuable this is for everyone, not just for the youngsters that come. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with the um, saying that London could be quite lonely. That's what, I think one of the main reasons I came, because not being... I grew, I grew up in Surrey and in the Cotswolds and then moved to London when I was 22, 23. And I'd go to work and I'd have my work friends and then I'd have various other friends that I made along the way while being in London and whatever. But actually, I, I didn't really ever feel like part of a community. I didn't, like, I wasn't really part of... Um, anything in Herne Hill, like no groups or anything, like I didn't really feel like I was getting any anything like that. Um, so then to have the chance to be able to do that at somewhere like Dulwich was really appealing to me. And also just the just the atmosphere around the club and the people involved. Um, in terms, you know, at the time, Mishy was doing an awful lot in terms of community liaison and all the amazing initiatives that he drove forward with the with massive support from the club, which was a huge part of it as well in terms of the anti-homophobia stuff that he that he managed to do, the anti-racism stuff for local food banks, stuff for local um, elder people who might not be able to attend football because they can't afford it or um, because of disability or whatever. And, you know, all of that just created this kind of almost like a perfect storm for me that was just so attractive and it was something yeah. I wanted to be part of. Um, so and, and also it was in those... Um, in those early days, like the new, I suppose the, the new wave of fans knows the Nouveaux who started coming in like 2012, 2013. A lot of them, like it was almost just like a motley crew of like, not misfits, but you know, they were all kind of like searching for something quite similar, but they didn't really know it. And then they all kind of found each other behind the goal at Champion Hill. Yeah, no, it's so true. And, you know, we've now, a lot, you know, a lot of these friendships have, have led to people living together going on holiday together, getting married, getting married um, 
you know, and being at all these occasions together as as you know the one common bit of identity is that we're South London and we're Dalek Hamlet. Yeah, that's a good question from Jack on on the Twitter there. Yeah, well done, Jack. Cheers, mate. Um, next up is Peter Gearing, who's listened to the podcast for well since it started really. Um, he's been coming to Dulwich for a lot longer than us. Uh, he's asked. With so much made in the past of the new fan base, uh, going back to old school versus nouveau, etc., um, do you feel, do you both feel middle old school now that you're Hamlet through and through, and not just there to have a chat like everyone else? So I think maybe because we've been coming for a few years, do we feel like we're not nouveau anymore? I don't know. I I do. There's people who've been coming here for 40 years. Um, I kind of feel like I'm. I think, I'm, yeah, I'm still incredibly new. Whenever anyone asks me how long I've been coming and I say five years, it's nothing compared to like someone like Sean Dooley who's been coming since the early 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that's bang on. But I guess we are part of a wave of fans that came um, in this like, trajectory that we're on. And... A lot of those fans don't come anymore because of various reasons, life changes and having families moving. Yeah. There's not many left, really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I certainly think it's going to be something that's going to be part of my life for as long as I live around here, which I think will be for a while. Yeah. Um, so I guess kind of middle school is about right, kind of. Not primary school, <laughs> not secondary school. Does this scan, maybe? So yeah, I think that's our answer, Pete, uh, if that makes sense. Um, what else have we got? Uh, I know there was one. Oh, Steve Broach has asked, what's our best midfield? Any that involves Nathan Ferguson. Yeah, in terms of formation we're playing, if we're playing 4-4-2, I probably had Nathan Ferguson left, Nyron right, and then could you get away with Fergie and... Quaid in centre mid? I like Quaid sitting. Fergie. I'd have a diamond. There, there you go. That's me. Yeah, I, that's like, I like Quaid at DM. I think it was quite comfortable there. That sounds quite nice. That's for me. I'd feel obliged just to, uh, and uh, <coughs> correct me if I'm wrong here, to somehow shoehorn Sanchez Ming back in because he was he's great value for money. I mean, <laughs> doesn't play for us. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. Getting back in because he's not on his <laughs> no, but he was always he, just left wing, just running up and down there, screaming his head off, smiling like right an absolute madman. Yeah, like for me, that's value for money. That's the best midfielder. Yeah, get the other players to do the sort of scoring. No, goals bits, but he was on a flag out the ground. Like, <laughs> it was difficult to watch him caning it up and down left without making you smile. <laughs> well, yeah. there was the rogue answer that we wanted. <laughs> um, it's got to be a I'll go for midfield five. I'll have Nathan Green on the left, Nyron on the right, um, Taj and Fergie sitting with uh, Don Vos in the, in the 10 position nice. behind someone else. Behind an attacker. An attacker. Nice. <laughs> there you go, Steve. Uh, Steve Broach, let us know what your midfield is. Um, there were a few more about the squad, weren't there? And Oh, if we went up, which obviously we won't, who do you think would be good enough for the next level? That was one. Let me just find who, was up, who that was from while you uh, prepare an answer. Yeah. Um, oh, Gary McGettrick. 
who do I think would be capable of playing in the conference? Yes. Nathan Ferguson. No, sorry, his question was who would be good enough to stay in the squad for next season? Who are we going to keep? Oh, who 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 should we keep? Yeah. Preston, such as me. This is a diplomatic answer, but I do think this squad is good enough for this league. I think we just have needed to get this season under our belts to get to know how to play it. We've like had the, a lot of squad changes as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This it. might actually be a good time to bring in another starter from Tom Bale. Fire away. Ben, I think you know the answer to this, but how many players do you think have represented Dulwich Hamlet this season? Oh, wow. Yes, I do know the answer, so this is on you, Ollie. Christ, that's a lot, isn't it? There's, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> Have we done the answer yet? There's been a high turnover, definitely. And that's why I think we're maybe a bit unsettled in where we are, where, maybe why we're placed where we are in the league. How many people have represented? I'm going to go 34. Is the number that popped into my head? Same numbers, wrong order. 43. Crikey. So we could have, we're one shy of fielding four 11s this season <laughs> and the 43rd player to represent us was Connor Hunt against Oxford City yes. now I think that number kind of illustrates just how tricky this has been for us because the turnover has been so high and I also wanted to play a little game around this uh, around this number brilliant uh, do we need a do we need a jingle for this uh, if you'd like to do <laughs> I one I haven't got enough that was the only one I've got um, the eagle-eyed silent man in the room spotted me writing pointless on my little piece of paper earlier. <laughs> now, this was not a, uh, a criticism of the Oxford game, which quite frankly was pointless. It was more... Depot's uh, banging goal. <laughs> it was more a case that I like to play a game of pointless okay. around the 43. If you were playing pointless, what would be your pointless answer for the 43? Good question. Cheers, Jack. <laughs> What have we went, what? Okay, okay. Who's the most obscure player you think of? Who would no one else say? This is, asked this is brilliant, because I'm famously good at this sort of question. I'd say Jay Rich Bagley is a bit of a obvious choice, but I really like him. How many pointless answers are there? You've asked, you've asked well, no one. We've asked no one. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, really hard we're currently okay, counseling. I'm, I'm going Jay Rich Bagley. Okay. Nice. Uh, I think I go sole price. Well, the one I was going to say earlier was Jay Rash, but Bagaloo, so that already proves it's not a pointless answer. Oh, there we but, go. Um, listeners, tweet us in your pointless answers for the 43 because we've had a lot of players this season. Yeah. Yeah, there's been an awful Oh. Byron Lawrence. Oh, that's a very good one. I yeah. really like that. Cheers. Liam Nash. Did he Liam, Liam Nash. Nash. That's a good one. They're all coming out now. Yeah. Um, yeah anyway. Let us know, listeners, the most obscure player you can think of this season. That's quite a yeah. few, so let us yeah. know. But I, no, my point is, I do think this is a good squad full of intelligent footballers who are capable of playing at this level. And I, I wouldn't want to open the door to any of them, to be perfectly honest. I'd like everyone to stay and fight for their place. Hmm. Not quite sure if that's what he's asking, but that's what I'm saying. I'd give them a bit of time to settle into the, each other's playing styles and... Hopefully next season will be the one where we can really show that this is the level we should be at. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'd get rid of anyone, to be honest. I think it would be detrimental. I don't think I'd get rid of any player. I think you're right. I think they're all good enough to play at this level. They've shown that on various occasions this season. Definitely. 100%. I think some are actually maybe too good to play at this level and deserve a chance to play a bit further up. But am I right thinking that leads us on to another question? 
What was Edgar Cale's question to us? Uh, Edgar Cale, his question, it's not the Edgar Cale. Just want to point that out in case anyone's Speaking from the grave. Wondering, yeah. Um, he has asked, the season may not have gone to plan, but who do you feel within our present squad could step up to the Football League? And I'm very interested in this question. I think it's a great one. Um, I've got two answers. One of them is Nathan Ferguson. Because I just think he's a bloody good player and could hack it higher up. And my second is Dipper Akinyemi. Because he's still really young. 21 years old. He's going to flush those mistakes out of his system. And I think he's capable of becoming a really good striker. Just needs a few more years. I'd agree with, with Dippo on that. I think Dulwich's side at the moment is a really good springboard for him to learn from his mistakes. Yeah, he's, he's taken this year relatively hard with you know missing that open chance. And he's had a few bits of game this season where he should have maybe could have done better and that's what it's about they say we've got a relatively young team and I think making those mistakes at this level will ultimately benefit him if and when he goes up what do you reckon Ben well, I just want to say as well he's still got 15 goals this season yeah and yet true. no one thinks he's had a particularly good season and no. have been struggling but that that just goes to show how good he is <coughs> he is brilliant and he and he's got he's already got so much obvious potential to be loads better which is why I think he will deservedly step up a league. Um, and it'll be a real shame to see him go, because he fits in perfectly with our team at the moment. Yeah, i go with Dippo as well, mainly just because of his age and his potential, um, and for the same reasons you've mentioned. And I did consider Michael, and I still do sometimes, Michael Chambers, because he's got a bit of Ethan Pinnock about him, but just not as much. Yeah. Sometimes he looks really comfortable and he just cruises through a game. And then there's other times where I'm not sure. Did Quay play a few games for Bolton in the Championship? I don't think he ever played for a first team. I don't think. I think it was just under 21s or 23s, whatever it was. Um, and my second is, my second definite is Nathan Green. Do you think he's still got a chance? Uh, yeah. I think, I think if a team goes up from the conference and they play the right system... So if they play with wing-backs, or if they need a, a, an outlet on the left wing, and they play, I suppose, he's best playing on the counter-attack. A team that's going to go up and is going to defend a lot and is in an outlet on the break, rather than the team who's going to keep possession locks. He needs space to run into. Um, when he does have space to run into, he's really dangerous. So I think it would have to be right. The context would be, have to be really like, on the button. But I think he could. I think he could play in League Two. Definitely. Uh, All right. Well, watch this space. Some, yeah. uh, some interesting punts there. Yeah. Um, should we have one more? Go on. Um, I'm just having to scroll through my tweets now because, as usual, <laughs> Mishy's been having a conversation with every single person in the world and tagging <laughs> us into it. So I'm having to scroll. <laughs> What's he even talking about? Oh, here we go. Oh, no, that's a rubbish one. <laughs> uh, there's another one. Thanks all for your rubbish ones as well, though. Yeah, they... yeah, obviously. Um, before I forget, uh, actually, we'll get on to the, the last question, but Steve Hunnisett, who organised um, 
the Dulwich Hamlet and the First World War evening at the, at the club last week, last Wednesday, um, got in touch to say he wants to thank everyone who came along to that evening. It was great to see so much interest from across the football family. For those who couldn't make it, or indeed hear it, um, Jamal of DHFC TV uh, actually filmed the whole event. Uh, so Steve is hoping it will be available to watch soon in case you missed it. I attended and uh, it was a very interesting evening. Um, I particularly enjoyed Jack McEnroy's introduction of his new book on Hussein Hagazi, who was the first African player to play in England. And it was for Dulwich Hamlet. Uh, and I think one moment stood out for me that I, I already knew this, but he tells it quite well, that when he was researching this book on Hussein Hagazi, who played for Dulwich um, around the First World War, um, his very first kind of foray into research, he phoned the Egyptian FA uh, and said, you know, this is quite a strange thing to ask. I'm phoning from uh, Campbell in South London and uh, I'd like to speak to somebody about uh, Hussein Hagazi. Have you heard of him? And um, at this point, the guy on the other end of the phone spoke very broken English, but essentially said that Hussein Aghazi is Egypt's most famous and well-revered player of all time. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, what an incredible uh, story. And Jack has written a book on uh, the history of Hussein Aghazi. Um, I mentioned it last time. He's played for huge Cairo clubs, Al Ahly and Zamalek. Um, and, yeah, it was fascinating to hear Jack speak of him. Um, and there are various other speakers on the evening as well, uh, whose names I forget, I'm afraid. Um, but Ollie was there. Was I was. It was really good. Um, I have to confess, I don't know a great deal of history, uh, football history, especially regarding. We did a bit of both worlds wars, didn't we? Um, and I found it fascinating. And I think if we have more events like this in the clubhouse, I think we can only. only get better i think yeah it's just another case of the the clubhouse kind of illustrating its versatility like already since we've come back we've had pool tournaments concerts a night of history seminars like what can't that place do mm. uh, and final question which uh, i wanted to include was from a guy who has asked us will we get this is from tuscany by the way um, will we get terracing at the hill behind the goals? It's a great atmosphere, um, but not so great view at the moment. So I assume that's in reference to the huge crowds we get. And actually, a lot of the time, you can't see a thing behind, particularly in the second half, mm. where that end, the car wash end, seems to get absolutely rammed to the point where if you're under five foot eight, you can't see anything. I've always found second half here tends to be busier. I don't know whether that's people coming in late or whether it's the bar emptying out. Um, but I think we were quite spoilt with our stand at Tooting in that their ground is tiered at both ends uh, to a much higher standard. Um, obviously, this ground, Champion Hill, wasn't built really to withstand a 3,500 crowd, and it never really has accommodated that many people. So... Like you said, we've gone up tenfold in attendances in ten years. Um, there's definitely a problem with the view, but we need to come to a solution. We need to come to a solution to fix that, really. Well, I spoke to um, a few club officials recently who said that apparently they're getting, or they're looking into getting quotes for extending the 
steps at the car wash end along towards where the mega container is or no the other way uh towards where we've got the is it um southey yeah, yeah. southey brewing tent and the portaloos extending it another 15 meters that way so then you have three tiered steps mm. another 15 meters and maybe adding another step which would, would help but i don't think is enough would that increase the capacity i don't know no i don't think it would I assume well, that. then, can we justify the cost? Uh, we're in a bit of an unusual situation in that, obviously, we're still... They're still undergoing talks with uh, proposed redevelopment of the ground. Um, so there's, we've, we've got a hard choice whether we, do, we, do we spend more money on this ground or do we hold out until we've come to an agreement with a slightly larger ground being built in another site. It's a very difficult position for us to be in because we really want to cater for all these extra fans that we're having but we also don't want to spend what little money the club has and the supporters trust raise and the fans raise um, on something that's potentially not going to be there long term <coughs> it's not exactly an investment is it exactly if we can get to a, some sort of option which would be temporary standing maybe looking at scaffold steps or things like that then I think the visibility the visibility would be like increased massively um, we don't have very many negative tweets about match days or I don't see very many negative comments on social or even at the ground apart from the view um, yeah. which we're very lucky in that the view is the way it is because we're such a popular club um, but it is something that we are looking at I've heard on the grapevine. Yes. I, mean, I, sound, okay, I think I sound like I know more I'm on about, but... Uh... Next change. <laughs> oh, jeez. It's definitely not my responsibility to sort it, but we, yeah, there, there definitely is an awareness of, of this. Yeah. So, yeah, Tuscany is being looked into, I believe. I hope um, that answers your question. To... Yeah. Uh, that, just one more, actually, uh, just to drag this out for a bit longer. Uh, Duncan Disorderly, Cycling Dunk, has asked uh, the difference between home and away form. Why? Uh, obvious crowd factors at play, yeah. Uh, so why are we good-ish at home and bad-ish away from home? Um, well, he's touched upon it. Like obviously, I'm sure the the crowd do do G up the team and that must be a bit of an extra incentive to um, perform well and give you the motivation that you need to, to get those those results and up performances I guess that does help um, beyond that any other factors we can think of I, mean, I, th I, think, life. It's, I think it's something psychological in playing yeah, like, yeah. no matter how many times players do it no matter how many times they prepare themselves and how many of them have pre-ratch pre-match pre, pre rituals and to prepare themselves psychologically and mentally I think playing away from home you're still a bit like it's still a bit siege mentality right because yeah. it has a huge effect like clubs always have worse records away from home there's probably some psychological research been done into this that I don't know about that yeah. proves it some of these guys are coming from a much smaller division like they've gone from playing Isthmian Prem where the grounds are a lot more concentrated and now the distances are a lot further, the commitment is more. Um, 
you know, traveling all day. Maybe you're even the one doing the driving. If the team doesn't book to coach or getting public transport, um, whatever it may be. It's unsettling. Yeah, it is unsettling. And, you know, when we see Premier League footballers travel, like, they do travel in the, the most luxurious circumstances possible. Like, it's not to say that it's easy for them, but, you know, remember Arsenal flew to Norwich away a few years ago, um, which I forgot tells you all you need to know. And they lost that game. Um, so even the even the professionals so, yeah. do suffer with. Surely, yeah. surely that would be an ascent and then a descent with no. Yeah, cruising. I'd say that's probably more stressful. Yeah, surely because well, Dennis get... Burkham wouldn't have gone had he still been playing for Arsenal. You have to get there an hour early. You have to check your bags. I'm assuming they flew from you know London City, City, City probably yeah. Airport chat. Yes. <laughs> this is what yeah. I'm here for. <laughs> uh, there you go, Dunk. Thanks for fan of transport. Yeah, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. Um, that's all for listeners' questions this time. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll do it again next time and ask for your input. Um, there's only one thing I wanted to cover in any other business this week because we've actually done most of it. Uh, it was actually just uh, giving people some info on the league table and our next fixture. We haven't done that in a while. And we are in a bit of trouble, listeners. Uh, <laughs> we are 15th. Dulwich Hamlet are 15th in the league. They are eight points behind Hemel Hempstead Town in 14th. And then below us... So we're on 39 points. Hampton and Richmond are 16th on 39 also. Eastbourne are on 38. Hungerford are on 37. Truro are on 36. And then the first place in the relegation zone, Gloucester City are on 35. East Thurrock are on 33. And then there's an eight-point gap to Western. So Western are down. Uh, and then it's anyone from us... To East Thurrock, so 15th to 21st. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams, uh, including us, are covered by six points. Uh, it's really bunched up in the last few weeks because various teams have been winning um, and picking up points, and we haven't been picking up as many. Um, and this weekend, we play Chippenham Town uh, in Chippenham in the West Country. They are 10 points. Uh, up the table from us in 12th. Can't remember the score in the reverse fixture. Was it 1-1 at the K&K? Against Chippenham. 1-1? That sounded about right. Someone do some fucking research. (laughs) (laughs) I'll level with you. I didn't realise Chippenham was in the West Country. (laughs) Uh, I think that's about it. Our live audience has totally lost interest and is looking at the Hall of Fame on the Dulwich Hamlet boardroom wall. Hugo is already standing up and walking out of the room. Ollie is... Playing with his ankle, doing something strange, and I'm almost—he's had enough. At your someone's at your wit's someone's end. tired. I've had enough. Yeah, someone's tired. It's all about. the excitement yeah. of talking the, about pre, uh, you know current Dulwich affairs. It's brilliant. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with us to the end. <laughs> Thank you, listeners. We'll see you again very soon. Night, guys. Bye. It'll be nice if all the teams went out and played like swaggering dandies as the Hamlet do. An absolute humdinger from about 25 yards. Get it. Swaggering dandies. An absolute humdinger.